0: The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Burquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Burquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Today, I'm joined by Stacey Reeder. Stacey is a certified integrative nutrition, health, and wellness coach through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. She has been on a lifelong journey of learning and sharing natural modalities to improve the quality of life and to live from the heart. She's passionate about food, plants, cooking, yoga, meditation, hiking, gardening, and her 19-year-old daughter who lives in Colorado. Becoming a mother was even more of an impetus for Stacy to better care for herself and her daughter with healthy food and herbs, and also when she created her original Loving Spoonful logo. Stacy loves to nourish everyone she knows. She came to Atlanta a year ago to help care for her healthy mother and her mother's 10-year-old dog, who's like another child to Stacey. Stacy has also been on an inner journey to listen to her heart and bring self-care at all costs. She loves watching life thrive in the best conditions possible, and also nurturing in challenging situations. Before leaving Colorado, where she lived for 27 years, Stacy worked as a nutritional consultant at an outpatient alcohol recovery program, where she excelled by bringing her eclectic skills creatively to each of her clients. She is now back in Atlanta, closer to the ocean, her absolute favorite place. She currently works with clients individually on Zoom and looks forward to being able to teach her experiential herbal and cooking classes and to lead healing, heartful self-care retreats. When she's not working, you can find her in the woods gathering wild plants or in her garden at the Blue Heron Nature Preserve, walking the dog, doing yoga, or, of course, in the kitchen preparing her love-filled healing food or making herbal medicines and body care products. She holds a certificate in mental health and addiction nutrition through the Academy of Addiction and Mental Health Nutrition. She's a certified herbalist and herbal medicine maker, a certified macrobiotic counselor and macrobiotic chef through the Nova Healing Arts School in Boulder, Colorado, and a certified birth and postpartum doula through CAPPA and birthing from within.
1: Stacy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Dr. Burkwist.
0: Yeah, and Stacy, you have had such a broad range of experience of experience helping people through so many aspects of wellness and well-being. I want to start by just asking you: How did you become interested in health and food and nutrition?
1: Yes, well, I have an interesting story. Ever since I was a little girl in the woods behind the house that I'm actually living in again right now with my mom. I learned all of the plants. I learned all of the medicinal plants and the plants that you could cook with. I was just remembering this morning and telling my sister that I remember as a little girl bringing handfuls of blackberries into the kitchen, you know, pouring out of my hands, juice everywhere and making pies. I didn't know how to make a pie, but I taught myself. So ever since I was a kid, I've been interested in plants, the natural world. And my mom and my grandmother were both great cooks. So I started cooking as a kid and I loved the visual, the beauty of the food, as well as the healthy aspect of it. Always, always been interested in the body. So I think I just, it was just my passion from a very young age and just seeing the effects of when we eat, how do we feel when we eat, what do we do? That's, that's really how it started. And then it's very, I feel so grateful to be back in Atlanta after leaving for 27 years, to be back in the same, very same house I grew up in, in the very same woods where I learned about poison ivy, wild ginseng, um, the blackberries, dandelion, and to be able to use all of those medicinally to help people.
0: Yeah, what a great story, Stacey, because, you know, as I'm listening to you, I think two things are kind of striking me. One is what a wonderful and beautiful childhood. You know, I think about, you know, how I think a lot of children today don't spend that amount of time in nature. um, And how amazing that you not only spent time outdoors, but could appreciate the plants and their differences and have the curiosity to learn more. And how ahead of your time you were, because I think there's a lot of interest now in the interaction between food and health in our bodies that 27 years ago, um, there was probably less of um, an understanding of how herbs and foods can affect our health. Um, When you reflect back,
1: what strikes you about that? Well, that's an interesting question because Part of my story is that I ended up, of course, going to high school, going to college. And then I became interested in macrobiotics, a way of eating a a lifestyle that I no longer participate in. But at the time I became I was on the board of macrobiotics in Atlanta. This was a lifestyle, a whole way of eating. A lot of people eat that way for healing their bodies when they have cancer. So. I was on the board and I realized that I was in my 20s and everybody else was trying to not die, basically, so to speak. They were ill and I loved all of these people. They were great. But I realized I want to go where people are already doing this. I don't want to be convincing people to eat a different way and to watch what we eat and to choose what we eat. I wanted to go where that was already happening. So it's such an interesting question because that's what led me to Colorado and there's a lot more to my story, but 27 years later, when I come back to Atlanta, I feel like Atlanta's now ready. Like you said, Atlanta now wants to know about different ways to heal and how important, like you said, food and nutrition and their different modalities are to the healing process.
0: Yeah, no, I, I do think that the times have changed a lot, and, and across the country. Um, so it's interesting that you're observing that. Now, when you were in Colorado, you have done you know just so many different types of work. Um, I'm really interested in hearing more about the work you've done to use nutrition and addiction recovery. Um, I think. Uh, That's a very unique take on addiction recovery. Um, I think there are a lot of programs um, catered to helping people through addiction. Um, Nutrition is not a common modality. So I I would love to hear more about that or how that came about.
1: Sure. Well, you're right. I do have a very eclectic background. When I went to Colorado, I decided to just dive in and get involved in every aspect of health I could possibly do. And in doing so, I had to look at my own food, my own intake. And I realized that there were times in my life, especially when I was a competitive gymnast, when I was younger, where I wouldn't eat, where I would basically starve my body so that you know, I would I would have a better image in my gymnastics competitions. And looking back on that and knowing how important food is, I just saw how depleted I was, how I lacked energy and vitality. And like most Americans, I would grab the quick fix of something sweet or carb to feel better. So when I looked back on all of that, I started looking into sugar addiction and I learned about malnourishment and I learned about food addiction and starvation. And was very involved in learning about that and how the food feeds the brain. And so that was part of my, I became a personal chef and I cooked for people that were ill, cooked for people that had illnesses that they were um, dying from. I cooked for families that were pregnant, having babies, new, new moms cooked for people that were trying to prevent illness by their food. And all along, I would watch the overeating and the undereating, and women, especially in Boulder, Colorado, where there's a high rate of eating disorders. So interestingly enough, this is years later. This is just right before I left Colorado in the last six years, I was offered the opportunity to work for this addiction program alcohol recovery program. And the program was very different and still is very different from a lot of the other programs because it wasn't based on 12 steps. It was, it's an outpatient program, but it was based on using these different modalities of everybody had a nutritional counselor, a life coach, a therapist, and a personal trainer. And so each client we worked with, each of, each of the practitioners worked with every week and it, changed my life I loved it mostly because I got to bring all of my tools to these clients it wasn't just sitting at a desk and talking to them I got to really use depending I got to meet each client where they were and so of course we would talk about their food and ways to nourish their bodies and ways to heal their gut and ways to help help their brain and all of the basics with nutrition and I also got to use mindful, my mindfulness tools with them. We would breathe, or we would do a meditation. Again, depending on the client, um, I would meet them where they were when they walked in the door. So some of sometimes we would just stand there and and breathe and do yoga postures. Other times we would sit and write food journals. But this is a very interesting um, program. It has a very high success rate. So that's really how I got into nutrition and in the alcohol
0: recovery program. You know, that sounds like an amazingly unique program, and it's interesting that it has such a high success rate, because that, you know, certainly speaks to this multimodality approach being successful to help with addiction. Um, if you don't mind, let's visit the different components in a little bit more detail. So, for example, um, nutrition for addiction recovery. You mentioned nourishing the mind and the body. For you know anyone in our audience who either is experiencing the process of recovering from addiction or has a family member um, who may be going through the process, what are um, categories or ways to prepare a food that you think um, would be
1: Helpful in the addiction recovery process? Well, the biggest thing that I learned, which is still amazing to me, is that occasionally people, often actually, my clients would call me and shaking, and I could hear their voice shaking, and they were about to relapse. They were calling me, you know, with a cry of help. I I, I feel like I'm gonna use. And the first question I would ask is, when was the last time you ate? And usually they would say yesterday or this morning. And I would stay on the phone with them until they went into the refrigerator, got some food, made a meal or got something to eat. And inevitably, the craving would go away. So the reason I'm saying that is because I learned that skipping a meal is one of the biggest reasons people relapse. And that just amazed me. Because food influences the way the brain functions. And when the body isn't producing enough brain chemicals or neurotransmitters, or if the chemicals are out of balance, then one can feel irritable and anxious. And so eating feeds the brain. So a lot of the ways that, some of the things that I suggested were eating protein every three to four hours in early recovery, also eating meals often with high fiber, lowering their sugar or sweets and caffeine, because they can all, they often will transfer addictions from alcohol to sugar and coffee, and that's not really helping their body. And often taking a multivitamin and moving their body every day, some form of exercise. And I also did mindfulness activities with them to help with the stress and the anxiety and then one other thing that, that I that is so important to me as we've already talked about is being outside. So there were lots of clients who were interested in my herbal work and we would actually take a walk, a nature walk, an herbal walk, so to speak, just right outside the building where the meetings were, where we met with our clients and walk into the alleys or walk into the woods. And there we could find all kinds of plants that could nourish their bodies, which was again, bringing me back to my childhood And the neat thing about it is it distracted their mind. So they're not thinking about alcohol. They're moving their body. So they're getting some exercise and they became interested in these plants. So it's very interesting. We'd find things like things that grow everywhere like dandelion that nourishes the liver or lemon balm or lavender that calms their nervous system or mint that would soothe their stomach. And all of these plants grow right outside your door. So it was really amazing to be able to work with these different people in different modalities, depending on what they were up for. But in terms of the food, the protein every three to four hours, um, fiber, healthy fats for the brain and um, the water, I don't know if I said that, lots of water every day. And my goal with this was to teach them how to feed themselves. So they they weren't relying on me when they left. In my own practice, I'll often actually cook with people, teach them how to cook. I'll meet them at the grocery store. I actually did that at this recovery program too. In the middle of the program, it was eight weeks. In the middle, we would meet at the grocery store and I'd take a tour with them around the grocery store, showing them what was nutritious, what was low in sugar, teaching them how to read the labels and really just empowering them to take charge of their own health.
0: You know, Stacey, as I listen to you, I, I see so much power in this multimodality approach because it seems to me that a lot of um, addiction recovery, you know, 12-step type programs are very focused on, um, you know, overcoming the reliance on the substance, but less so on helping the person who has the addiction, i.e. like you said, there's a lot of stress associated um, with, you know, oftentimes why a person gets addicted to a substance, um, but certainly in the process of trying to um, avoid that substance. And the role of emphasizing the importance of exercise and eating, you know, again, it, 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 you're empowering a person and you're finding ways for them to feel good without the substance as opposed to just this emphasis on, you know, these are ways to not want this substance. Um, Yeah. What type of feedback or response did you get from the people you worked with, with this type of approach?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, as I said, we had a really high success rate. It's still a fairly new program. It's less than 10 years old, but I got lots of emails, lots of phone calls, about how wonderful this modality is all the different parts. Also the life coaching was just amazing because it helped people plan to move forward in their life. Like now that you have these tools, now that you have some exercise, now that you know what nutritious food is now, and they had a personal trainer. So they were actually doing exercise that fit their body type. How will you move forward in your life? And they made goals and met them and we got amazing feedback. And sometimes I would get feedback about just how eating this food has made their eyesight better or whatever. I mean, it wasn't just about not drinking. It was amazing how these modalities affect people and open up their world. I mean, I had an elderly man, I'll never forget it. He called me from the grocery store and he said, I'm trying to make some um, trail mix. And he was so cute. He said, I've got, I can't remember all the things, but something spicy for my spice. I've got something crunchy. I've got, is that okay? And I said, absolutely. And he was an old hockey hockey coach, but he was in his eighties. And at the end of the program, he was able to, and he couldn't walk anymore. I mean, he could walk, but he had neuropathy so bad. He couldn't ice skate. He could barely walk. And by the end of the program, he ice skated onto the, to the rink with his, the little boys that he used to coach or whatever. And it, it was just, So fulfilling for me to hear that. That was what was amazing. That's so amazing about this program is that people are encouraged. They are supported to be empowered and continue. And they weren't just talking about how bad things were and how hard things were and how hard it was to give it up. They really had a plan to move forward. So that's some of the feedback. And, And that
0: is just perfectly encapsulating how shifting the focus. Focus um, to moving forward, thinking about future planning, as opposed to again this focus on not having the substance that they're addicted to. Um, I think you know it's uplifting, right? It's always um, better to be positively, you know, incentivized instead of like negatively incentivized in the things that we do. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking this program is incredibly unique. Um, And a lot of people, you know, who may be listening that live in the United States or in um, a different country probably don't have access to this type of program. You mentioned life coach. Um, I know you've, you know, done work around, um, you know, you've been trained as a wellness coach. Um, What, what should a person look for? Like how should they even begin if they don't have access to such a comprehensive program? Um, Who should they contact? What are the differences between the resources that may be available,
1: but maybe not integrated? Um, What would be a good Good first question? That's a great question. Our program changed a little bit at the end. And I was in charge of, I'm part of the exercise for these people and what I did was I communicated with different gyms and different swimming pools, and um, it just makes me think to, to give them that instruction, because I'm not a personal trainer, although of course I know about exercise. So it, it makes me think about that, that contacting different people to help them with these pieces, a therapist I think is so important, and maybe a life coach. Maybe those people might have some suggestions for the exercise piece, but I really think that each person, that each of the patients had these plans every day, you know, they knew every week. And so maybe having that set up in their life, you know, getting that support so that they know they're going to exercise twice a week, they know they're going to talk to a life coach or a friend or some supportive person but that was really the helpful thing for moving them forward in their career goals and in their life, things that have been put on pause, a therapist to talk about it with. And we had a doctor, of course, that was in charge of the whole program that worked with amino acids and some medicine. And of course I was able to dispense the vitamins that the doctor had selected. So I think each of those things could be very helpful. And I do think being outside, you know, getting some sunlight moving your body in nature to me is so important. Even a walk around the block. So those are my, and I, and I didn't even mention a nutritionist. So someone that works with, with nutrition as well. Those would be my suggestions.
0: And yeah, no, that, those are all wonderful suggestions because it seems very doable. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, there are those resources and, and um, even if a person couldn't afford all of them, even trying to do some on their own or using their friends as a support network. exactly. um, Beyond just helping them to not relapse, but also to kind of make um, commitments to themselves to do certain activities such as exercise or nature walks.
1: Yes, and the commitments and the goals I feel are so helpful in my work anyway, because that's what I want people to do is make goals and how how can I meet this goal? And that's what we worked with our clients to do. And they enjoyed for the most part and looked forward to coming to each meeting with the different practitioners. It gave them something to do each day. This is not, this wasn't a program where they were, it wasn't an inpatient program. So they had to, some of them just kept working and came, you know, when they needed to, when they could for their appointments, but they looked forward to it and it really helped them have a goal, just that goal, that they're going to come to that meeting. They're going to meet with their nutrition person. They're going to meet with their personal trainer. I think it just really is empowering, and I think it's very doable outside of paying for a program.
0: Definitely. And, and Stacey, this type of work um, sounds incredibly gratifying, um, but over the 27 years that you spent in Colorado, What are other projects or types of work that you have found the most gratifying using your tools?
1: Yes. Well, I would have to say that going back again to the plant world, making plant medicine, so to speak, making body care products. I teach classes and my classes are very experiential where I base it on the climate. I base it on the seasons. So if it's winter, we are going to focus on the immune system. And I pick a few plants that are either available at that time of the year, which is not many in Colorado in the winter, or I get them already dried. And I set up, this is the way I teach. It's a very uh, experiential. I set up a table with everything on it that we're going to do in many different forms. And each person can pass around, touch, taste, smell each of the herbs. This is really my joy. And I think it comes back to being a little kid in the woods here. And then we learn about each of the herbs and their properties. And I make snacks for people, I'm also a personal chef. So I make snacks for people based on those plants. So maybe we'll have a catnip pesto or a stinging nettle uh, deviled eggs. So I, And we always have a tea, an infusion it's called, made of the herbs that they drink throughout the class. And then we do a quiet meditation. Each person sits with the plants that they're drawn to. And I have some music or I guide them through. And then after that, we make either an herbal vinegar or an herbal honey. I've just made tons of violet honey that I'm going to turn into syrup. And it will give us the medicinal properties as well as the beauty and the taste when we enjoy it. So that's kind of, and people, of course, get to bring home what they make. So that's probably been the most rewarding. I apprenticed with someone there, an herbalist for 25 years, the whole time I was there. So now I'm back in Atlanta, relearning the plants here and how I can help people with that. And it really works well for addiction because things don't need to be in alcohol. They can be in vinegar and they can put that on their salad and they're getting the properties of those plants. Or again, it could be in a honey or, or it can be a tea or it can be in a salad. So it's a wonderful way to be nourished.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, I I think that there's, you know, just an entire field to understanding herbs and each of their medicinal values. Um, So I think having that 25 year experience, um, I'm sure taught you a lot and taught you how you could use different herbs for different uses with your clients.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And watching the clients, like once I teach them in the classes and then they'll come back and tell me, well, I decided to make this lotion with this plant that you told me I could eat. And just watching the creativity has been so gratifying for me.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I think that you you certainly add a lot of unique information because sometimes, even though people may be interested in herbs trying to decipher um you know all the information that's out there is not always easy to do so um i think that guidance i'm sure your clients found to be incredibly valuable
1: yes and i'm a big believer of learn a few plants and use those really well don't need to learn a thousand every plant i mean you can i i know the names of a lot of things and i know a lot of plants but I really think it's it's so beneficial and i'll use the dandelion again you can eat the entire dandelion so to really work with that one plant and learn two or three plants has been amazing for me there's a lot to know like you said do you mind sharing what your favorite plants are i would love to share my favorite plants and then three come to mind for me one is violets and they grow all over the place in Atlanta. We just finished the season, I think. At least they're not growing in my backyard anymore. But violets are, do you want me to say what I use them for? Sure. Okay, so violets can be used for grief. And if you, the, the leaves are heart shaped. And so a lot of times they have that signature. The plant will be shaped like what it's good for. There's food that is like that too. And it has heart-shaped leaves, so it's really good for the heart. It's good for a little cough that is not diagnosed, not like a big, bad problem, but sometimes an emotional cough. Um, It's good for breast health, violet oil, and it's great in salads. It's got a lot of vitamin C. So I make a lot of things with violets. It's absolutely my favorite plant, and they're prolific. So even when the flowers are gone, they're all over your yard. All the things I'm going to mention are probably considered weeds to most people. The next one that I would say is one of my favorites is stinging nettles that is not, it came over from England, and I don't know if you've encountered them but stinging nettles um, definitely protects itself. And it's got little tiny spines on the front and the back of the leaves and on the stalk, and so if you rub up against it, it will definitely sting you so to speak it's like a little rash. Um, that will go away in a day, but it's very protective of itself. And stinging nettles have tons of minerals. In fact, being a doula, which we haven't talked about, a birth assistant, that is one of the plants that I will, I will suggest or make tea for my pregnant mamas because they can be very nourished with the nettles plant. It's almost like its own multivitamin. It's got so many things and it's got vitamin K, which is hard to find in a plant. So i use stinging nettles almost as if it's um, like my multivitamin. And you can use it in so many ways. As I said, it will sting you. So I've learned to be very quiet and very slow, and I can remove the leaves without being stung, but you can use gloves, of course. But the interesting thing about stinging nettles is if you chop them up like in a food processor to make pesto, there's no stingers. And if you cook them, the stingers go away. So either I make tea or I'll make I make a lot of pesto with a lot of different plants. So I love stinging nettles. I've got it growing in my garden right now. And then lastly is a plant that does not grow here. It it's grows in high places. It's called OSHA, O-S-H-A. And it is, to me, a very sacred plant that grows. It grows amongst the aspen groves in very high altitudes. So it grew in Colorado and it is very strong smelling and it is amazing for coughs. Um, and usually I'll make a tea out of it or I will chop it up really fine and put it in honey. People make tinctures as well. And I do have some tincture, but I love it in honey or as, as a tea. And the neat thing about the osha root is the root will last for like 200 cups of tea. So you boil it, you take it out of your cup, you let it dry again, and then you can you know, boil another pot of tea for about 200 cups of tea. So those are probably my top three favorite. That's amazing. And if
0: somebody has, for example, a violet in their yard or in their neighborhood, can they just pick the plant or the flower and just add it to their meal?
1: That is a great question. Well, first of all, I wouldn't pick it unless you know it has not been sprayed with pesticide. And that is a big important thing. So our yard's not sprayed with pesticide. And So that's the main thing. And yes, you can just put it, I just made a salad for someone recently that had violets all in it and it was beautiful. So the flower itself is what I would put in a salad. The leaves, I don't really eat. They are very medicinal. That's what I use in the breast oil and in the vinegars. But it's not, it's very mucilaginous. So it's not that great to eat. But the, the violets, some of them are really sweet tasting. So I would eat the violets, the flowers themselves, fresh. Or you can make, you've probably seen, candy. They dip them in sugar and let them harden, and they are great for decorations on cakes.
0: Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for sharing all this great information. Um, With the few minutes we have left, um, is there anything you want to share that we haven't had a chance to talk about?
1: I don't think so. I just want to encourage everybody to go out there and see what's growing in your yard and see what's being sold in the farmer's markets and choose things that you're attracted to that they're probably something your body needs. Go with color, go with season and just enjoy, enjoy your food, enjoy the plants.
0: What a great reminder to you know, kind of proverbially, stop and smell the roses, but just to be aware of the beauty and the gifts in the world around us. So, thank you for sharing that, Stacey. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org/livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.